Today, God, we are thankful to you today for allowing us to be in this place. And so we recognize that we have a great God who loves us, even though we at times really ponder all that happens. But we thank you that we can trust you fully. We don't have to understand it all, but we thank you that, God, you do understand it all. And pray that you will give peace to the hearts of those that are right now going through bereavement. We pray for the Duval family, the Phillips family. We lift up the Grayson and the Hall family today. For many of the people that we don't even know that have lost loved ones, even during this COVID-19, we pray for the family members that have lost loved ones. Today, during this time of uncertainty, we thank you that we have peace in God and that we have a certain hope in the salvation that we have. We can trust that you will carry everything, everything out perfectly. We worship you. We glory in your matchless name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the, in the New Testament, one of the things that would happen, because the people often didn't read, the people didn't have the law, they often relied upon the, the rabbis, and often when they came to the conclusion of a particular verse, when the priest would say, Amen, it was the prompting of the people to say, Amen. Oftentimes the word amen came at the end or the conclusion of a statement. But it is interesting to note that when Jesus spoke, he often put his amen at the beginning of what he was about to say. You may have heard the words at times when Jesus would say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, followed by whatever the statement. That word actually means amen, and that word is interpreted, so let it be. So let it be. Sometimes we will say amen when there's something that we agree with. And then sometimes we will say ouch when something hurts. <laughs> so if you can't say amen when something hits you, you you're more than welcome to say ouch <laughs> if you like. Today we're going to continue with our series in the book of Timothy. Last week I preached from Timothy and we were dealing with Father's Day. Today, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. Won't be before you very long. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. This is how it reads in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. And I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And this is how, what it says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. In the other translations, uh, Paul says, of whom I am the worst. Verse 17. That was verse 15 that I read to you. Verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may not blaspheme. That is a very powerful and strong statement from Paul. As you know that Paul had left Timothy, who was a very young man, a very timid man, a very fearful man. 
He had left him in charge and told him to stay in the city of Ephesus while Paul was in Macedonia. The concern that was raised by Paul and those that were in Ephesus that there were many people that were coming out of pagan religions, coming over to the Jewish faith in Jesus, and many of the people brought a lot of their traditions over, and many of them were of cultic practices. Many of the leaders, in fact, some of them, had even began to teach that which was in opposition to what the Scripture said in the Word of God. And so Paul told Timothy, I want you to stay right where you are, and I want you to correct the teaching that is false. I need you to know something. There is a right and there is a wrong. Don't let anyone tell you that everything is okay with whatever a person does. That is not true. There is a right and there was a, there's a wrong. If I was to come up right now and if I was to slap Sister Chuck, that would be wrong. She would not go for that. <laughs> she would take her mask off, I bet. And say, Pastor, what are you doing? <laughs> she, she said, I'm going back to the Old Testament, eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth. Ain't no turning the other cheek here, Pastor. <laughs> there is a right and there is a wrong. Today we live in a culture where everyone wants to try to make everything okay. But when you take a stance against that which is wrong... You may be ostracized. You may be spoken against. But this is what Paul told Timothy. Don't let anyone look down upon you, Timothy, because of your age. Don't let anyone look down upon you because of what you have to do. You have been given a certain authority, not only because of the fact that you represent me as a, an apostle, but most of all, you represent Jesus Christ, and you must stand for that which is true. So Paul had to encourage Timothy and told him to stay right there in Ephesus. Last week we took a look at the fact that Paul had come out of a history and a culture where he had been the one that had abused the church. And he said that of all the people that have done wrong, I am the one that am most guilty. But God showed favor on me and he, and he blessed me and he helped me. Even though when you look at all of Paul's writings, you will discover that Paul never really seemed to get past the fact and the idea that he was a persecutor of the church. When we look at the Word of God, there is something that is called at the end of verses at times when we say the doxology. When we look at the final statement, there are four things that compose when we look at a doxology According to the pastoral epistles, I'm getting this information. So four things, three or four things. And this basically um, comprises most of the doxologies in the New Testament, a statement at the conclusion or at the end of a particular chapter or book. A doxology normally consists of three or four components. One is the person designated and praised. So when you look at a doxology, it will list the person that is to be exalted or lifted up and praised. And we see that in regards to God. The second thing is a statement of praise. 
Lord, we honor you, we praise and magnify your name. In fact, some of the songs that we were singing are the songs we're honoring and to give praise to God. That is the second component of a doxology. Uh, the, The third item deals with the matter of the eternal duration of the person. So when we say the doxology, it deals with the third aspect, the eternal aspect of the individual. So when we look at God, you oftentimes will hear in the scriptures, you are from eternity to eternity. In other words, you are of the ages and be, actually the word literally means beyond the ages. Because we live in time, we need to understand that we cannot really comprehend eternity. We don't really have a framework of what eternity really means. So when a person says that you are going to live forever somewhere, in our mind, we still wrap time around it. Why? Because we don't completely understand it. But God lives outside of time. So in the doxology, it talks about the eternality of God. And then the fourth aspect, it oftentimes will conclude with the word, Amen. The charge in verse number 18 that's given to Timothy In fact, let me just give you this. In fact, to 17, it says to the king of the ages, identifies God, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he says this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Ephesus was one of a tremendous wonder in the Asian world, in the, in the, in Asia. When you look at the, the fact of four major cities, if I can remember them, when we look at Rome, Rome was one of the top places, followed by Alexandria, and I can't remember the third, but Ephesus was the fourth. And in Ephesus, it had a Greek goddess, or a goddess known by the name Artemis. The Romans called that goddess Diana. I'm not going to go too far just because of the audience. It was a god of fertility, they believed. And Ephesus, because of its history, it was known for commercial trade. Many, many people would come through Ephesus, the wealthy. It was just a place that everybody wanted to go. But it was very, very, how should I say it in a nice way, godless? I guess that could be a way to put it. But when Paul came to town and began to preach, some of the people began to change. And because of the opposing views that that were in the place, there were a group of people that raised up against Paul. They rose up and they began to speak against what he was preaching. Not only was Paul and at the time Barnabas at one point together in that place ministering, There were 24,000 people, if I recall, that began to cry out for two hours saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You'll find that in the book of Acts. And can you imagine being in an amphitheater or in a place where for two hours they are saying, Great is Artemis. Now, Paul had been performing miracles. He had been telling people about the Lord. And they were about to start a riot right there in the city. Because of Paul preaching to them Christ and the fact that many people began to come out of that practice. And what began to happen is as people began to come out of that culture, it began to affect their economy. 
Now, you start messing with people's money, they can get a little funny. <laughs> you, you, you can see another side of people when you began to mess with their income. And they began to get upset and angry with Paul because some of the people began to do away with the practices. They were no longer buying many of the idols that they were had, had in their homes and many of the books. And they were just getting rid of these things. And this is the place where Paul tells Timothy later on that I want you to stay there. Now, he notices that problems began to arise in the city of Ephesus, in the church that had been established there. Some of those that had come out of the culture of the false gods began to become leaders in the church. And they began to teach doctrine that was contrary to what was right. And Paul said, Timothy, your job is to confront those very ones who's doing it. And when Paul says, Timothy, I'm giving you this charge, there had been a prophecy. Hands had been laid on you. And I want you to remember what has been given to you. And I want you to put that into effect. Sometimes when you get discouraged, do you not know that you have to remember what's been told to you before? Sometimes when you get discouraged, you sometimes will go back and read old letters. Some of you at times when something happens, you will go get a favorite passage or you will maybe go get a favorite song and put on. Why? Because you need encouragement. There's nothing wrong with encouragement. We all need encouragement. And so what Paul does, he reminds Timothy of what he was given earlier on. And in fact, Paul says, Timothy, there, there has been a prophecy given about you long before that I want you to remember and I give you this charge. When Paul says, I give you this charge, it goes back to chapter, back in chapter 1, 1 Timothy, verses 3 and 5. That same word that Paul speaks of regarding the command of telling Timothy, deal with the problem. He says, now I'm going to charge you with this. Carry out the message and the plan that I've told you to carry out. And for those of you who didn't get the, the, the message title that I oftentimes give it, I forgot to give it to you. It is repeat God's word and then do it. Repeat God's word and do it. Paul is repeating to Timothy God's word and says, now Timothy, what I've told you, Carry it out. Why? Because it's going to be difficult. We were dealing in the book of Ephesians with the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the interesting things about the matter of the armor of God, when we think about protection and fighting, Paul told the people that you are going to be in a battle that you need to be prepared for. Now, when we think of the armor of a guard, one of the things that was of a, of a Roman soldier, I should say, one of the particular instruments that he had was a small, sharp instrument, a dagger. He had this because it was when he would get into close combat with others. But Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to be in close contact in a serious battle. It's not going to be a battle where you're at a distance where you can throw spears, but you're going to be in hand-to-hand combat spiritually. And you need to understand that when you're in spiritual battle, you need to be prepared to deal with whatever may come. The reason why prayer is so important in the church is that it prepares us and helps us and keeps us for the attacks of the enemy. Paul is letting Timothy know you're going to be attacked. You're going to be in hand-to-hand combat spiritually. You're going to have to deal with these individuals teaching false doctrines. So, Timothy, I am charging you 
with what has already been given to you to faithfully execute it. Don't be timid, Timothy, but be sure to carry it out. When we have been given a task to do that will be grueling, encouragement that has been that has been instilled within you has to be brought to the surface. When Paul says in chapter verse number 19, holding faith and a good conscience, moral character makes a difference. Moral character makes a difference. When you hear the word a good conscience, it is oftentimes talking about moral character. If you don't have good moral character, people oftentimes will not listen to what you have to say. They will try to find fault with you if your character does not match your speech. If I say one thing, then I need to also make sure that I do it as well. Paul says, Timothy, you must have a good conscience. You must have good moral character, Timothy. When Paul talks about our faith, it is a personal commitment to Christ. Now, I know that some people have faith in faith. I know that some people, when you talk about faith, they say, oh, I just have faith in faith. Well, faith in faith is not good. <laughs> but you have to have faith in someone and something. So let me just tell you this. When you talk about faith, you must understand and know that faith must be in someone. Faith. Paul goes on to say in verse number 19, holding faith in a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. When Paul talks about rejection, it comes from a Greek word, apotheo, apotheo or apotheo. It means to thrust aside. Apatheo means to thrust aside. Paul said there are some people, when they have come to the gospel, they have not just put it down, but they have rejected. They have thrust it aside. That word reject means to actually thrust something aside with great force. It wasn't a matter of just mildly rejecting the word of God. It was a matter of casting it aside with such force that one wanted nothing to do with it. This is what Paul describes as happening in the church in Ephesus. These individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander, have thrust aside the very word of God. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy you've got to deal with. Paul says some have made shipwreck of their faith. They've rejected the word and they've thrust it aside. They have made shipwreck of their faith. By this time, Paul had already had four shipwrecks. Can you imagine being on a boat? Some of you have lived in a boat and have the boat have some difficulties. But Paul, on his voyages, had been shipwrecked at least four different times. So when he uses this word shipwreck, it is more than likely the fact that he knows just what it, what it means in regards to his own life. When we think about something that has been shipwrecked, it means something that has been destroyed. Some people's faith has been destroyed because of what they've done. Be very careful not to... Make shipwreck of the faith that you have been given. You know, we have a very precious promise and promises in the fact of the word of God. And it is important that we adhere and hear God's word 
And there may be things that at times are very difficult to hear and to understand, but you don't want to thrust it aside and you don't want to make shipwreck of your faith. If there's something that you don't understand, one of the wonderful things that we can do today, we can always go and look it up and search it out. Well, what does that really mean? You see, everything that one may hear, one may not believe. Everything in the Bible, one may say, wait a minute, Lord, I am struggling with this. God is not surprised with your struggles. Lord, I am having a hard time with this. God's not surprised. But what the Lord wants you to do, he wants you to be open to his word. He says, God, what are you saying? How does that word apply to me and my very life? And then Paul goes on to mention in verse 20, those who have made shipwreck of their faith. He says, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That is a very strong statement. Hymenaeus was a person that you will look in 2 Timothy, you'll come across his name, and they believe that he's the same person that Paul identifies here. But the name Alexander, there's not conclusive evidence, or it's not, it's not clear if this is the same Alexander that was, in, that, opposed, that was in the book of Acts, or even in 2 Timothy. Could be a different one. But Paul names here two individuals specifically that have been causing a problem. Now, it seems very interesting that Paul says, I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, what does that mean? When you look at the church, the church is known as the ecclesia. The ecclesia. That means the called out ones. When God saves the world, saves you from the world, he takes you out of the world and puts you in the church. Not the church building, but in the body of Christ. There are two institutions today, the world and the church. Evidently, what Paul is talking about is that I have handed over to Satan. It means that I have handed him back over to the kingdom that Satan controls the world, that they may learn a valuable lesson. And however God chooses to use that method of chastising them, we're handing them over to that method so that they may be saved. What is Paul wanting? He wants there to be correction. Paul is not saying that I want their souls to be destroyed. He says, I want them to stop what they're doing. And so therefore, we are removing the normal protection of what one can find in the true church of God and putting them back into a place to where Satan rules. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy, these two individuals, I want you to be particularly aware of. Because evidently they were leaders causing problems. Paul identifies them by name. Pay special attention, Timothy, to these individuals. Let me say this in conclusion. Paul tells Timothy, I repeated to you earlier in 1 Timothy, verses 3 through 17, what you are to do. And I'm reminding you now, with the authority and the prophecies, Timothy, that have been laid out and given to you, to now put that into effect, carry it out. The individuals that you need to be concerned about, Timothy, these two, I need you to be very vigilant in carrying out the work. In the church, when there has to be discipline or church correction, it is a very sensitive matter. And what Paul is having to do, just like there is problems in the world, there are problems in the church. But one of the wonderful things that happens is that when there are corrections that, that's needed in the church, the purpose is often for redemptive purposes so that there could be correction so that there what can be fellowship once again. When the world gets through with you, they will just put you out and they want nothing to do with you. 
When the church has to correct their sin, let's get it right so that we can have fellowship once again. The church loves to work with people and to have fellowship with the body of Christ. The world has to be different than the church, and the church has to be different than the world. Why? Because there are two different spirits operating both. We have the spirit of God that operates the church and the spirit of the, of the enemy that operates the world. What does that mean? When one comes into subjection to the will of God, one says, Lord, while I may not understand everything, I submit myself to your glorious will. Would you help me? Would you teach me? When I have to be corrected, may I have the right attitude and the right heart? There are times when my daughter would do something wrong and had to be corrected. And then there were times when I had done something, something wrong and, and I had to apologize. I didn't want to apologize. <laughs> apologize to no little kid. I don't want to apologize, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I had accused her of something that she didn't do. And I had to say, I'm, I was sorry. You know, it's hard sometimes to do that. But we have to at times. And that's what happens. We bring that same spirit into the church when there has to be forgiveness and there has to be healing and there has to be correction. In this case now, Paul is saying, Timothy, there's got to be correction. And the correction has to be pretty strong, Timothy. It has to be something. Why? Because it can tear up the church. That's why certain things have to be put down pretty quickly. Why? Because if fear goes through, final thing, whenever an army was going out to battle, they had two things specifically they had to watch for. They had to watch for there to be, for, for there being an infiltrator within their ranks, one who was acting as if they were on their side and wasn't, and the matter of fear. If there was a people that were fearful in the army, they had to deal with that. Why? Because fear would begin to run through the entire army, and it could destroy not only the morale, but even have them lose the battle. But when you have a leader that says, you know what, we can do it. We, 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 can, we can follow Christ, and we can, we can have things work out. Why? Because we know in whom we trust and whom we serve. It doesn't look like it's going to work out, but we know it's going to work out. Why? Because we know that God leads us. Timothy, you're going to be successful because you are doing what God says you need to do. You're going to get opposition, but don't worry about it. Do it anyway. Why? Because you have the backing of heaven itself. So, Timothy, repeat what needs to be done. Here's a repetition. And now go do it. And that's my charge to you. Repeat the word of God and then go do it. Today, God, we are grateful to you for your wonderful grace. We thank you for the love that you show for us. Even when we have to be corrected at times, then there has to be things that are done in the church, uh, around the world, and in the scriptures. When Timothy had to deal with the problem, he had been given a charge and he carried, carried it out faithfully. Today, when we have to do things that, Lord, would normally make us afraid, may we look for the courage those words, those things that have been implanted and allow them to come to the surface and handle matters in the right way that we will do things according to your glorious plan and your glorious will. We thank you and we honor you and we love you. Now you be honored and glorified in this place. Be exalted, Lord, and be lifted up. We love you for who you are. In the matchless and the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.